0: Okay, I'm trying this one more time. I think everything is all set. I had to make another room. I'm going to try to share this with folks. Hello, how are you doing? Bear with me. Let me know if you can hear me in the chat. I think I'm actually working now. I think the audio is working. And so, um, yeah, sorry about all that. Happy. Sunday afternoon – afternoon, I don't even know what time it is. Happy Sunday evening, uh, everyone. I hope your Sunday evening or morning or or Monday – I don't know where you all are, but I hope wherever you are, uh, things are going all right for you. So uh, today's show, you know – today's show, I wanted to just be on with you for – 45 minutes to an hour, so please do come with your comments. Um, I'm just gonna share this real quick uh, while I let people come in to the room. So I'm just gonna share this around because it's a new room. So again, hope you all are doing okay. We're gonna get to the content portion very soon. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Lots of bugs, lots of bugs sometimes with this app. So, you know, it's a new app, it's it's a work in progress. And yeah, my original room crashed. So I need to share it one more time. So I'm just going to do that really quick, everyone, okay? Um, Give me a second. Okay, all shared. So again, good evening everyone. Good evening. And I'm coming to you today because a lot has happened in the last week. A whole lot has happened. I don't believe last week we were talking about Taiwan and we were talking about Nancy Pelosi. But here we are. Uh, Grateful that some folks uh, such as Jimmy Dore were able to cover this issue because it's very serious what's going on. And tomorrow evening, late evening. So a lot of my uh, work might be moving to the later evening. This podcast might be moving to the later evening. I have been doing it later and later in the day. Uh, my wife is starting overnight, so her job is going overnight. Pretty brutal. Um, but that just leaves a lot of time for me to do things later in the evening. So you might see me streaming more later in the evening. You might see me on here Later in the evening, so keep that in mind. Uh, this this show is usually every Sunday, almost um, entirely. But tomorrow I'm going to be on with Carl Zha and Xiang Yu, and we're going to be talking about this topic in depth. We're going to be talking about the One China policy. We're going to be talking about the history of Taiwan, history of Taiwan and China. So you want to want to don't want to miss that. That's at the left lens on YouTube. So make sure you're subscribing to me on YouTube to catch that stream at 10 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. And with that said, though, you know, definitely uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, come right into the queue. We can make this more discussion-based today. But uh, just to begin, you know, it's the end of the month so please do support me on Patreon as well at patreon.com slash Uh It is hard times out here, uh, but that's the best way you can support my work uh, from my streams on the left lens to my regular articles, uh, whether it's on Black Agenda Report or other publications, and of course on places like this podcast. So let's just get right to it then. All right, I don't see anyone in the queue just yet. Nancy Pelosi, it's been about... I think over the last five, I don't remember when exactly this story broke, but it was within the last week. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is going on a trip through Asia, right? So this trip, first of all, was always going to be somewhat controversial. Every time the United States, U.S. officials go on trips through Asia, it is somewhat controversial. And that's because... The United States is, are, is using these trips, whether it's Joe Biden or Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, whoever it is within the Biden administration, these trips are all about organizing so-called allies, quote-unquote, into the U.S. fold and in confrontation of some sort, whether it's economically, militarily, politically, or all three. That's really what the point of of all of this is. So, Nancy Pelosi, she uh, earlier last week announced she was going to go through to Asia. She was going to visit Japan. I believe she's going to visit South Korea, Malaysia, Singapore. But the big story was that she was planning on visiting Taiwan. And the reason why this is a big deal is because. Uh, The one China policy stipulates that only unofficial visits are allowed, meaning that uh, visiting with the political authority in Taiwan as the third in command, as Nancy Pelosi is, is is a really egregious violation of the one China policy. And uh, China immediately made that known. So throughout the week, ever since it was rumored, because it was leaked, that she would possibly be going to Taiwan, uh, China has been responding very, uh, uh, very strongly, very, very, very strongly. Actually, I was joking with uh, a friend of mine, with a with colleague, comrade uh, Carlos Martinez, that, you know, <laughs> it felt like, right, uh, this was some kind of like mob deep, uh, uh, you know, Poli- uh, political manifestation or expression of Mob Deep's shook ones, where Nancy Pelosi is the shook one, and uh, uh, we're seeing uh, China really assert itself. Really assert itself. Uh, of course, China is not asserting itself as, as a gangster. All right. So that was that was not the point of the joke, but. Over the past several days, things have changed because the entire political establishment, except the Republicans, except the GOP, uh, essentially rejected this. Actually, let me run that back. Much of the political establishment rejected this trip. Except for the GOP, many stalwarts in the GOP, Newt Gingrich, who did the same in 1997, but he was the minority leader at the time. He was not the majority leader. And and, and Bill Clinton was president, so it was not a bipartisan, it was not seen as a kind of a, a partisan trip, even though it was still a big deal. Uh, Mike Pompeo, Kevin McCarthy, these are the forces that are on the Nancy Pelosi side. But it's not just these forces. Many of the Democrats are too in many different ways. So uh, here you have uh, Joe Biden being more progressive than a Ro Khanna, for example. So uh, Joe Biden, and this is not to call Joe Biden progressive. Joe Biden is a warmonger. But Joe Biden opposed this trip and he was vocal about doing so. His administration said, they're not for this trip. Uh, they would, they would want her to reconsider. Although they didn't speak to her, right? It was, it was not the strongest statement in the world. But both the Pentagon and the Biden administration said they essentially were not for this trip. Now, Khan on the other hand, went on CNN, and this was the topic of my conversation with Jimmy Dore. He went on CNN and defended Nancy Pelosi like a lapdog, and said, "Who are they? Right? Who are they? The Chinese Communist Party." to tell Nancy Pelosi where she should travel. Of course, uh, we should know that Ro Khanna's wife uh, has hundreds of thousands of dollars worth in defense stocks. And so there's quite a conflict of interest here, given that the military-industrial complex uses the tiny island of Taiwan, not more than 20 million people, as basically a dumping ground for its weaponry so it's been making super profits off of Taiwan off of the political authority in Taiwan and uh, Rokana seems to be on the side of 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 Nancy Pelosi it seems like for this reason because not only and of course for the reason that the Democratic Party even the most progressive faction of it uh, really does bend the knee to Nancy Pelosi who the squad of course called mama bear so Ro Khanna and Mike Pompeo, for example, signed exactly the same on this issue. And they both uh, encouraged and defended Nancy Pelosi and her possible trip to Taiwan. Now, things have changed over the last several days. No matter how much support she has gotten from the GOP and some of her more loyal compatriots within the imperialist Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi has had to roll things back, roll things back a bit. So, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago. Nancy Pelosi, uh, her office, said that the trip to Taiwan was now tentative. Today, a press release came out with no mention of Taiwan at all, just the other, just the other actual countries: Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Japan, and South Korea. So it's unclear whether she will make this trip. But uh, one thing we should note, and it seems like it's much less likely now, but one thing we should note is the incredibly strong response from the Chinese government, from China. And, and this is very important. And so on July 29th, a couple of days ago, the Global Times, which if you've been following the Global Times since this was announced, you would know that uh, 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 the Global Times, right? The Global Times, first of all, is a subsidiary of the People's Daily, which is the official public uh, organ, right? It's not a part of the committee, like Kishi Journal. It is actually the public media arm of the Communist Party of China, in global Times is considered a quote-unquote tabloid. Not a tabloid in the sense that you would think of the Sun magazine in the UK or whatever you pick up the da- off the damn rack, entertainment magazine, What, uh, not entertainment magazine, whatever those magazines. You, I, you know what I'm talking about. That you get off the rack. I don't know their names. You get off the rack at the grocery store. Not a tabloid in that sense. More so a a more editorialized, a more, uh, 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 how should I say, it, a more lively voice, right, of the People's Daily. And uh, the Global Times issued an incredibly strong op-ed. I don't think I've ever seen an op-ed from China or from the Global Times, I should say, from from the from Chinese media, state media, that has been this strong. I don't think I've ever seen it. So I just want to read you a little, just this one paragraph. So over the last few days in the lead up of what today is the anniversary of the People's Liberation Army that's being celebrated in China, Fujian province, which is just right across the way on the mainland from Taiwan, was conducting around the clock live fire training missions around the clock, just around the clock from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. They've been doing that for the last few days. We've had videos of military armaments being transferred to this province in order to prepare for any kind of military operation. So China was preparing. This is very real. They were preparing to defend their sovereignty and territorial integrity because the government has from the beginning since Pelosi has even thought about such a trip said this is a violation of the one China principle and that there will be consequences to this. So I'm going to read you this short segment of this article. And this is a very strong, strong message, I think. So it's talking about what measures were being. This is a Global Times editorial. And it's talking about what measures were being taken by the Fujian province, uh, Pingtan Maritime Safety Administration. And they issued a navigation warning this past Friday, a couple of days ago, with live fire training missions happening the next day, so it happened yesterday. All ships will be prohibited from entering this province. It's off the coast. Live fire training means using bullets that don't have eyes, and those who enter without permission will face the consequences it is not ruled out this is from the article that there will be more live ammunition drills in the next few days if needed we right so you're hearing we being used here the global times is saying we meaning that this is a message directly from the people's liberation army and it says uh, uh, if needed we could also delimit missile test areas and conduct ballistic tests During this sensitive period, the People's Liberation Army will monitor Pelosi's plane in a timely manner. If it is found flying toward our airspace, the PLA fighter jets could warn, follow, intercept, electronically interfere, force a landing, or drive it back. In this process, any consequences may occur, and the responsibility rests entirely with the United States. So... It continues saying, some people may say, isn't this a move to trigger war with the United States? In this regard, people can refer to China's principles and positions in the trade war, not wanting a trade war, so here we go, not wanting a war with, with, in relation to the one China principle, not being afraid of a war in relation to protecting the one China principle, and having to fight one if necessary. Others say that if Pelosi snuck into Taiwan via a civilian airliner, it would be difficult to identify the plane. That's true. But if she comes and goes in such a way, we may not be able to make counter moves in time, but it will be Pelosi who bears the embarrassment. Her move will also be remembered. And one day... She will have to pay it back. I'm just going to read the last paragraph here because I think it sends the the warning pretty clearly. This is a public article. This isn't some kind of back channel to the United States, to Nancy Pelosi, although I'm sure that there were back channels being sent to the CIA director, to uh, the the National Security Advisor. I'm 100% sure of that. This is what the Global Times editor had to say at the end. In a word, we have ways to raise the risk of Pelosi's quote-unquote performance through the visit, greatly increase the cost of her performance, and boost the price she has to pay. Let Pelosi deeply realize that Taiwan Island is not a place where she can run wild. It must also be emphasized that how China responds depends on the degree of provocation by the U.S. and the DPP authority, and any actions of the PLA are defensive. We are protecting our homeland and our country, and we are on the side of natural justice. The quote unquote mine, meaning like a landmine, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan had better be eliminated in advance by Washington. Better be eliminated in advance by Washington. So China basically said fuck around and find out. And they should. I'm a hundred percent on board with this. Anyone who's not a hundred percent on board with this just doesn't understand the uh, the concept of sovereignty, of self determination, and of course doesn't understand the history of Taiwan, doesn't understand the history of the of Taiwan Straits of of, uh, cross straits relations, and doesn't understand the United States' role in all of this because the United States has acted like an imperialist empire with regard to Taiwan. For decades upon decades upon decades, since the Chinese Revolution 1949, since the KMT, the so-called Guomindang Party, since the nationalists lost the revolution, they lost the counter-revolution that they were trying to wage, they lost. And they ended up fleeing to what was called Formosa by much of the West at the time. Much of the West didn't even call it Taiwan because uh, they viewed China as their so-called open door and essentially a semi-colony. That's how China was viewed prior to 1949. And after 1949, when the KMT fled to Taiwan, instituted martial law, slaughtered a bunch of people. Uh, condemned uh, much of the population to violence, got rid of whatever was left of the indigenous population, and established the Republic of China. Guess who was pressuring the United Nations to kick the People's Republic of China out of the UN and recognize the Republic of China, which was the government of Taiwan? That was the United States. And the very basis of the one-China policy, ironically, is the fact that there are two contending governments vying for leadership of one China, not the other way around. It's not vying for independence. That was never the case. Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists were not, I repeat, were not about independence. That movement, that phenomenon is really, I mean, we could argue that that phenomenon is only 16 years long, since the DPP, the Democratic Progressive Party, a separatist party, uh, came into power, majority power in 2016, and of course, really started to gain steam in the uh, mid to to late um, first decade of the 2000s. So it's a very new phenomenon, but a very intense one because it's backed by uh, U.S. political in military interference, an incredible amount of U.S. political and military interference from direct relationships with folks like Mike Pompeo, with direct infusions of military weaponry and training from U.S. special forces, right, and tens of billions now over the past several decades, tens of billions of U.S. dollars worth of military weaponry sent to the island. I mean, this... This visit, this potential visit, which likely will not happen now, but you, I'm not ruling it out yet until Pelosi is back in the United States, back in DC. Uh, 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 this visit that Pelosi hinted at, this stunt that she pulled is really an expression Really a political expression of this decades-long imperialist aggression. Really occupation of Taiwan, a de facto military occupation of Taiwan, that's been going on for decades. And there are so many people I have seen on social media uh, 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 and the like who have digested this strange narrative that has absolutely no basis in reality. That Taiwan is somehow an independent country and deserves so called quote unquote self determination in complete contravention, contradistinction to international law and to the very history of Taiwan Straits relations. And I cannot wait to talk more about this, of cross-straits relations, I should say. I cannot wait to talk more about this with Carl Zahn Xiang Yu tomorrow on the left lens on YouTube. Uh, before I leave, I will surely send that link uh, because it's already up on the page. So before I leave here, I will definitely put that link in the chat so you all can make sure that you are notified when I go live at 10 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. So that's what's happening. China is saying we will defend ourselves. This is, Both different and similar to what has happened with regard to Ukraine. Different in the sense that I believe, this is my opinion, but I believe that the U.S.'s interference on Taiwan is by far and away more dangerous than what it has been doing in Ukraine. Far more dangerous. Now, this isn't to say what has happened in Ukraine, uh, the United States' proxy war there, is not dangerous, and I'm putting that link in the chat for you all. Okay, um, so there's the YouTube link for tomorrow's show. I'm not saying that what's happening in Ukraine is not dangerous; it's incredibly dangerous. It's it's very. I mean, it's it's really tight roping, walking the tightrope for a big global confrontation, uh, a war with Russia. There's no doubt about that, but. Ukraine, regardless of what we think about Ukraine, uh, uh, regardless of what we think about its politics, I certainly have my (laughs) disagreements, regardless of what you think. Unfortunately, the end of the Soviet Union also meant the so-called sovereignty of Ukraine. It was made a sovereign nation within the United Nations with representation. It was no longer part of the Soviet Socialist Republics. So... With that said, Ukraine is considered a sovereign country. Taiwan is not considered a sovereign country. It is not a sovereign country. Taiwan is considered part of China. It's part of what is considered the territory in the nation of China. Uh, there's only one rightful government of China. It's the People's Republic of China. And no matter how much the Taiwan a political authority believes itself to be the rightful governing. And that's what the KMT believes. At least this is the government that the KMT had formed. Uh, no matter how much they believed themselves to be the rightful government of China, they were not. And they never believed that they were independent of the mainland. They believe that they should rule the mainland and all of the territory surrounding it, all of the uh, neighboring islands, including Taiwan. Now, the dpp does think differently the dpp thinks it's, uh, that taiwan is an independent country it believes it's a western country so it's a it's a it's a very colonial mentality and what's ironic and this is should, you should we should all take heed to this that this separatist movement really flourished when the kmt was weakened dramatically by political reforms that happened in the early uh, period of the 21st century that allowed for a, a, a sort of larger degree of electoralism in Taiwan and basically opened up both the politics and the economy of the island. And so, of course, the island's become much more neoliberal and politics have become much more neoliberal to the point where, you know, Tsai Ing-wen, the president of Taiwan, of the Taiwan Authority, of uh, the, she's the leader of the Democratic Progressive Party, she believes that Taiwan is a Western country. She believes that she is leading Taiwan to be like Europe. So there are some similarities with Ukraine there. <laughs> it's just about the legality of the matter and the fact that the U.S.'s political and military interference, therefore, represents a complete and utter violation of China's sovereignty. So whereas the United States could use, legally, say, and you've heard this, how many times have we heard this, right? How many times have we heard that the United States is enforcing Ukraine to do anything, right? Ukraine is a sovereign government with a choice to join NATO, a choice to uh, align with us, a choice to accept our weapons, tens of billions of dollars, uh, there is just, it's just one big choice, right? Of course, of course, they don't mention, of course, the Biden administration doesn't mention, Washington, the foreign policy establishment, they don't mention that Ukraine's government is an outgrowth. It is an expression of a U.S.-backed coup. It is an expression of, of the U.S.'s political and military interference in Ukraine, meaning it is a de facto puppet regime of the United States. And just look at how Volodymyr Zelensky has behaved. He has behaved as a servile, loyal puppet of the American empire. It doesn't even matter how close Ukraine gets to basically obliterating itself, obliterating itself, Right? The weaker it gets in the East, the more that Russia solidifies its strength with the people of the Donbass region, the more that they do that, the more that they continue to degrade and diminish Ukraine's armed forces, the weaker Ukraine will get overall, Kiev will get. And uh, as journalists like Ben Norton have shown, the more damage this will do to Ukraine's economy and the more pain will be inflicted on Ukraine as a whole. And so really, uh, the consequences of this, of course, have been laid bare for Ukraine. You now the United States and Europe are entering recession in part because of their involvement in this conflict. So uh, there are some similarities here except the China situation is even more grave. And unfortunately, we didn't have many voices talking about it. We didn't have many voices standing up and making it just as important as coverage of Russia and Ukraine. Uh, we, We haven't had that. We haven't seen that, even though the military, political, and economic consequences of any kind of similar maneuver by the United States with regard to Taiwan are more uh, uh, intense, uh, are just much bigger than what we can imagine with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. I had got ridder on my program and he said, the only logical conclusion of any kind of U.S. intervention in relation to Taiwan against China, any kind of U.S. military intervention provocation and confrontation with China will lead to a nuclear exchange. There is no other option because the United States cannot militarily confront China. It cannot. It doesn't matter how many military bases, how many allies it has made subservient. It doesn't matter how many weapons, how many troops, how many many resources it shifts to the Indo-Pacific Command. It doesn't matter at all because China has a modern military. China has a a united population. It is a population that believes the People's Republic of China is their rightful government, and they will defend that government and their country to the death with a modern military and the fact that they have friends, not just Russia, but their economy is so deeply linked. If you thought That the United States and Europe were isolated around the global south when it comes to Russia, African countries, Latin America, all over much of Asia, uh, China, it's even to a higher degree. So any kind of provocation toward China militarily, uh, the United States cannot and will not succeed. They cannot and will not succeed. That is unless they choose to uh, uh, go about and go through with the nuclear exchange, which would turn us all into nuclear dust and basically destroy the very system of imperialism that we're talking about right now and take us all down with it. That's the only logical conclusion. I am 100% in agreement with Scott Ritter there. Uh, The only logical conclusion to what Nancy Pelosi literally almost sparked. So that's the stakes. And I believe... Uh, given China's strong response, China for decades was about hiding capabilities, not necessarily hiding, but uh, being very, uh, you know, tight lipped, not really saying much about capabilities militarily, and biding time, uh, allowing the one China principle to play out, uh, uh, being very cautious, and not. Not making any strong moves or responses to the US's provocations. And that's really been true even during this last decade long period where the US has pivoted to Asia, uh, transferred more than half of all of its military, uh, its 60% of its navy to the Asia Pacific, where it has escalated sanctions on big on Chinese tech, where it has waged a propaganda war, diplomatic war, on and on and on. It has still remained relatively, China has remained relatively disciplined and has emphasized cooperation, has of course rejected and condemned the United States for any lies that it tells and warned the United States about the consequences of trying to decouple or uh, of trying to isolate China, but at the same time, there has been nothing like this. So when I saw China, when I saw China's foreign ministry, when I saw uh, Jian, when I saw Wang Yi, when I heard them speak and then (laughs) the editor of the Global Times, uh, 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 when I heard the editors over at the Global Times speaking like this, I knew that this was very real. This is very real. That this the dangers of this were very real. And it, I think it's really important that we can, that we're going to have to continue to cover this. We're going to have to continue to make this a very big part of what we do in terms of our coverage, in terms of our coverage of foreign policy of the new cold war. Like we need to do that. We, we desperately need to make this more of an issue, more of a subject because not many people are willing to cover it. And, and I think that, you know, I've seen from Ro Khanna to Breaking Points, Breaking Points has Josh Rogan, the Washington Post uh, 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 so-called foreign journalist, correspondent, whatever he is, analyst, foreign policy analyst, this, this political neocon hack, Josh Rogan, who was the first, one of the first journalists to peddle lab leak theory about Wuhan, about the Wuhan issue of virology. uh, virology. They have Josh Rogan on almost all the time. And this guy is a neocon hack aligned with Donald Trump's anti-China policy. And you have him on talking about how it's China's fault, right? It's China's fault that this is happening, that China's the aggressor. Uh, This is what passes for progressive, so-called independent media right now. Uh, You have uh, anything that has to do with China, uh, whatever it's spoken about in the media, for the most part, this isn't everybody, but this is the vast majority, uh, it's always incredibly biased. It's always incredibly on the side of the neocons. It's always leaning toward, leaning toward this very aggressive posture towards China, a very new Cold War posture towards China. And that is very dangerous. That is very dangerous because it's fueling this trend where the American public, most people don't want war around the world. Most people don't, nobody wants war around the world for the most part, at least in terms of population. But the US population definitely does not, I can, I, <laughs> If there was a war with China tomorrow, I don't think the U.S. population would necessarily uh, cheer it on. But it is more likely now that that could happen because public opinion toward China is so low. And it's because of this extremely unhelpful, counterproductive manner in which this propaganda that is spread about China. right China is the aggressive over Taiwan. Has most people who say that have haven't done an ounce of research or study on the history of this, of cross straits relations, of the history of how the United States has behaved? I Haven't done any anything like that. So the stakes are very high here. The stakes are very high. And uh, before I close up, I definitely want you all definitely start getting in the queue because I'm going to close up. I had a. Uh Fahim, who's a regular listener here, I'm, I see you, Rodrigo, I'm just going to make a comment. Fahim, who's a regular listener here, asked me to cover a topic, and I'm just going to say something about it right now. He said, it seems like every time there's an economic crisis in the United States, a capitalist crisis, that there seems to be new wars. That's a troubling trend. And I just want to say that Vladimir Lenin really caught this about imperialism as a system during World War One where he said that World War I was a war over colonies. It was a war of capitalist expansion. It was a competition for who would get to decide how the world is divided. It was for the redivision of the world. And now that the world has been divided by imperialism, I've seen this last period of, I would say, the U.S. imperial decline as being, and stay with me, Rodrigo, as being about how to govern the world now that it's been divided. Now that we've had anti-colonial movements, now that we've had neocolonialism in some areas, we've had imperialism remain a very key staple led by the United States. Now that the system was on the decline, it's about how to govern the world and how to stop any challengers to imperialist governance. And that's why we've seen and in every economic crisis, the imperialists want more war so they can try to expand. Now the wars are all about how to hold on to after the capitalist economy contracts, after uh, the, the there's widespread instability and the political chaos that comes from that, using war as a mechanism for stability. Now we know that doesn't work, but it is the reason why we saw in com bubble Afghanistan and Iraq, right? They were invaded. And then 2008 crisis, you had Obama come at the helm. He basically reinvaded. I I don't want to say reinvade, but he surged in Afghanistan. He escalated uh, in Iraq before the so-called pullout in 2011, which was actually not a pullout. And then invaded Libya, Syria, coup in Ukraine. So uh, Honduras, right? Like, Massive expansion of warmongering while warmongering started bombing Somalia, Pakistan, right, expanded the wars from two to seven. So now that we've had, you know, more crises, 2019, 20 crisis, Donald Trump went after China. Um, and now we're in another crisis and you see both China and Russia at the center. So it's a very good point. And I just wanted to summarize that it is true. Economic crisis, crises do breed more wars. But right, let's get to the conversation piece of this for the last 20 minutes or so. I'm going to bring Rodrigo in as the next caller. Uh, you are the next caller, Rodrigo.
1: Hey, Danny, can you hear me? I can, I can. Hello. Yeah, um, I'm new near. I found you through Jimmy Dore. Um, I saw you on the Jimmy Dore show last week. Um, uh, I was curious... Um, I'm not too familiar with the whole China discussion. I'm new to this, this whole topic. Mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about the, the CHIPS Act. I think you were talking about it on, on Jimmy Dore. Like, the reason for Pelosi's visit to Taiwan was because uh, I think you were saying that she was trying to get the backing of the establishment. Um, like the <clears throat> pro-war establishment. Um, I was curious to learn more about that. Like, um, can you explain that a bit more? Yes, I can.
0: Yes, I can. So midterms are coming up. Um, and, and and first of all, uh, good to meet you, Rory. Thanks for, for coming through. Um, appreciate you watching and, and, and seeking out my work after uh, Jimmy Dore's program. But uh, yeah, so midterms are coming up. Democrats are in real big trouble. They're in really big trouble. But they cannot do what would essentially help them get out of trouble, which is just actually fight for and, and implement some things that are doable around student loans and even health care. If you don't do Medicare for all, there's some other things that probably could be done, but they're not doing. So there's just some things done they could avoid all this mess. But they can't. Nancy Pelosi doesn't want it. She's a hundred millionaire. She's a... She's, uh, uh, She's Wall Street's best friend. She's the big tech monopolies' best friend with trading stocks literally in the millions. And so, one thing that has been a key staple of bipartisan sh- politics in the United States since the Trump era, especially, but the rudiments were built by Obama. Uh, you know, I think it's a mistake to credit Donald Trump. With the entire project of being "quote unquote" tough on China, uh, it was really Obama and Hillary Clinton that started this trend. But, in inarguably, and it's the anniversary—the one-year anniversary—of Glenn Ford, who was the executive editor of *Black Agenda Report* and a big mentor of mine. Glenn Ford talked a lot about Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign as being a big tent, right? Of the national security states, the foreign policy establishment, the GOP side of that as well, key figures of the GOP who are so called anti Trump, quote unquote, uh, then most of the neocon establishment in that party, most, not all, but most, because all really are part of the neocon establishment. And then the the you know, the Democratic Party establishment, Nancy Pelosi being, you know, Schumer and those folks being the biggest. So that was the big tent, right? The big tent was getting Wall Street, the military industrial complex, GOP neocons we get, getting all of them under one big tent. And so ever since then, right? This was one of the big this was one of the big developments out of the Donald Trump phenomenon, out of that period, right? Of chaos. Out of that period where the US political establishment was not just seeking to address this Trump situation. It was also seeking to address the fact that a lot of people wanted some version of what Bernie Sanders was going to offer, right? That there was this huge push domestically, at least foreign policy-wise, there was a lot more confusion, Domestically, at least for some kind of social democratic, some kind of welfare state uh, politics to be implemented in a period where People have been living through an economic crisis for eight years, and I expected Obama to do something about it, and he did nothing but worsen it. So the Big Tent was all about addressing this problem and strengthening the empire while they were at it. So ever since then, we've had a tough-on-China stance be absolutely critical to electoral politics at this point. Uh, of course, the GOP make it out to be way more uh, visible. But both parties did this. The 2020 presidential campaign was really Joe Biden and Donald Trump talking about who would be tougher on China. That was a lot of it. So the Nancy Pelosi's trip was no doubt, given who she was really bumping elbows with and rubbing shoulders with, who was coming out publicly to defend her. In a bipartisan manner, Mike Pompeo, uh, you had Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader of the GOP, right? All, all these folks were coming out to, to Nancy Pelosi's defense. And I think the strategy here politically, because I do think that there are some really unhinged elements in the military state that do want to see a war and do want to try to flirt with the possibility of confrontation. So I'm, not, I'm definitely not ruling out that Pelosi's also walking with those folks as well. Um, But I do think that there's a political element of this and and it's a subtle one because Pelosi would never allow herself to look aggressive, right? She's not here to be like, oh yeah, no, no, no. We're, 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 we're provoking China. Uh, We're saying China, let us do this or else. No, no, no. She's not doing that. So that's how Mike Pompeo behaves, but just the very act of what she did or what she flirted with doing sends the same message. And at this point, I mean, at this point, I don't know if she's really mentally with it, cognitively with it enough um, to know the difference. But she was aware of the dangers. She was made aware of the dangers probably many, 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 many times. And she still pushed through all the way up until the very point of departure when she finally released that press release. So that's the political connection. The political connection is that there is a massive shift in public opinion that's been driven by the foreign policy establishment, the propaganda war against China, all of this misinformation that we've heard uh, similar to Russia, except I do think that it's even more extreme in some cases. And uh, the fact that, you know, there is this broader desire on the part of the United States to quote-unquote contain China. In order to contain China, uh, you need to make domestic politics about China. And I think Nancy Pelosi had definitely an eye on doing that ahead of a midterm elections where they can't campaign on anything. I do believe that the Democrats would love the midterm elections to be uh, a contest of who's tougher on Russia and China. They would love that because there's nothing else that they can really talk about that would make one, people excited enough to save their slim majority in Congress. Um, and two, who could save Joe Biden's decrepit administration from f- uh, flailing to uh, the logical conclusion of 2024 being either uh, uh you know run with a, a new nominee or whether joe biden just loses but nonetheless rodrigo is a very good question you can stick around if there's no more uh, folks in the queue i'm gonna get to left is best first though and you can stick around if you want to respond um if no one else is in the queue but left is best you are now a caller
2: hey danny yeah no um i was just uh <clears throat> going to comment on that Pelosi thing and how um I don't know if you saw the the video that came out of her like she's she's been a a, a puppet of, of the capitalist ruling class for a very very long time and there's a video that came out uh that well it's it's an old video but she's like shortly after the the Tiananmen Square incident and her and some other colleagues are unfurling like a like a, a pro democracy banner you know in in the and so to me like I didn't I didn't even have no idea you know that she was was um, you know uh taking a a an anti-china stance even way back then you know just so so she's 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 completely controlled you know by by you know the 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 billionaire ruling class and and I I feel that her trip her her trip that she's trying to to take to taiwan is just another aspect of that is that she's 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 a puppet right she needs to make it make known that that she's not a fan of the communist party and 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 like she did you know many decades ago and so it's 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 really hello yep i'm here it's it's really bizarre how Scared, our elected our elected officials are of like big money and and the ruling class because it's just like you know she's willing to to risk nuclear war just to to um project you know this message that you know she's you know anti communist party of China and and like Joe Biden constantly when he was on his campaign trail was like <clears throat> you know I'm a proud capitalist right basically announcing that I'm not a threat to this. Um, you know, all this is just theatrics. It's like you know, capitalism will go on like unabated. You know, don't worry, it's 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 secure, right? But then, and then, as soon as someone, you know, with with actual uh, cojones to to want to take on the system and and make change for the people, God forbid, a socialist, you know, um, then we see their true roots, right? Because um, the whole Jessica Cisneros versus Henry Cuellar, right? Henry Cuellar. You know, I honestly don't care about his gun stance, but the fact that he's he's literally the only, like, one of the, the last few remaining anti-abortion, you know, Democrats within Congress, but yet they're willing to throw their weight and their influence and their power to make sure that he doesn't lose his seat. And as the cock block, you know, Jessica Cincenero, because, you know, she's of the AOC crowd, she's going to be an agitator, you know, she comes with maybe some socialist, um, Ideology behind her, right? And and it's so it's so transparent to me, right? Is yes. that is that the the really old guard, the really 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 old guard of you know you know Nancy Pelosi being 80 plus, Biden you know on on the cusp of dementia, right? They're trying to beat back the younger <clears throat> potentially more socialist youth from gaining a grip, right? And mm-hmm. so there's a lot. I think a lot of this is a lot of theatrics, right? To the capitalists ruling class hey don't worry we're on your side we don't like communists or socialists like you do you know it's, it's, it's kind of that kind of thing <clears throat> so I just wanted to I don't know I just heard Nancy Pelosi and then I was just like needed to go off
0: <laughs> no no Anyways, I appreciate it I appreciate yeah,
2: it Yeah, man. I'll, I'll, I'll sit back and listen to the rest of the <laughs>
0: no problem um, yeah 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 sure 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 well I definitely want to respond because I think you made good points um The the first uh, point you, or I don't know, I think it was one of the first points you made about uh, Pelosi having gone to China before. So what's really funny about that is (laughs) Foreign Policy magazine actually wrote the the Beijing bureau chief. I believe it was of CNN, I believe it was at the time. I just had the article up. I don't know where it went. Um, But uh, he was at... Here it is. No, that's not it. So here we go. So his name is Mike Chinoy. And he's some senior fellow at a think tank, one of these U.S.-China institutes. So he was actually the bureau chief, CNN's Beijing bureau chief, China bureau chief. And in that 1991 uh, delegation, the congressional delegation, where she pulled that stunt at Tiananmen Square, she actually slipped away from him and from the delegation to do this, got the news cameras rolling to to show it. And he was actually... (laughs) I, I would say I wouldn't call him arrested. He says he was arrested, quote unquote. But he was really like semi-detained. You know, he was kind of like escorted off. But that's how reckless Pelosi can be. I, and I think I think some of this, although we I don't, I would never put it principally. Like I want to make it the principal issue here. But some of this is Nancy Pelosi is just that arrogant that she truly does believe that she can walk around her. I mean. If, if Ro is that arrogant, if Ro Khanna can say the United States is the best country in the world, who are they in reference to China to tell Nancy Pelosi where she can go? If he's that arrogant, you better believe that Pelosi is that times 100 million because that's how many dollars that she's accumulated from the capitalist class, right? Uh, that that is, that is her relationship to, to capital, as you said. So, She is just that arrogant. And while Nancy Pelosi earlier in her career made herself out to be so-called anti-interventionist, ever since, especially the Obama era, Nancy Pelosi has not met a war that she has not liked, right? A champion for the imperialist war on Syria, for the coup in Ukraine. And of course, now she's been a principal anti-Russia, anti-China hawk. She has been. Well, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and people like that, Mike Pompeo, were meeting with Hong Kong opposition protesters. Who was the one Democrat who did so? And that was Nancy Pelosi. So Nancy Pelosi has shown herself to be a hawk over and over again, again, a, a neocon hawk, someone who will align herself with the neocon hawks whenever it's convenient. I don't see anyone new in the queue Oh, I see Anthony. Well, I saw Anthony. Um, I see Anthony in the queue right now. I'm going to let Rodrigo just, if you have any further comments or questions, I'll let you uh, respond, and then I'll get to you right after that, Anthony. Rodri- uh, Rodrigo, are you there?
1: Hey, Danny. Uh, hey, Danny. <clears throat> I was having problems with my microphone. Um, it's okay. So, yeah, uh, regarding what you were saying, uh, <laughs> it seems kind of crazy to me that Pelosi would think that that's what is troubling regular people is China I guess um, I feel like if I went out to my and talked to my neighbors if I asked them like what's on their minds, probably inflation China's probably not even in their periphery so that's that's unbelievable to me but um, what I also wanted to I guess ask one last thing is um, regarding the chipsack you know I I don't watch breaking points anymore. I, I saw you, you mentioned them I think they're they're like regular mainstream media. But I think whenever I heard him talk about, like, um, like for example, like, semi- semiconductors, the argument they always made was, like, all our semiconductors are made in Taiwan, so at any point China could, I guess, cut us off. And with the Chipsack, I think it's supposed to funnel a bunch of money to, so that we can invest in uh, semiconductor manufacturing here in the U.S., Although my experience is, uh, normally when bills like this pass, it it doesn't, it has a bunch of loopholes. So like, usually the companies just use it for like stock buybacks. Um, Mm -hmm. so I guess I was curious, is there like any rationale, I guess, from like any rationale, like, um, for Pelosi to even like go to Taiwan at all? Like, uh, maybe I'm mixing up the two events I could have sworn she was going after the passage of the Chips Act. Um... Mm. Yeah, I guess any rationale like that she would need to go aside from just trying to look tough against China and trying to mm. virtue, virtue signal that she's the Democratic Party is tough on China.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll answer that quickly so I can get Anthony in here. Um, no, that's a good point. Uh, sorry, actually, because the the audio can be kind of muffled on this app sometimes, depending on uh, connection. But uh, no, the chips, the, the, the uh, SMIC, the semiconductor chips, uh, they're hugely important. Of course, Taiwan's the major producer of those. But the danger uh, – so if every policy – so every the CHIPS Act, for example, every policy like that, it's all about China, right? And China right now is moving toward – because of the sanctions that the United States has leveled on China's – tech industry on Huawei, there's a big black, there's a blacklist, a long list of Chinese tech companies. There's an attempt also to target semiconductors in these sanctions to try to strangle China's tech sector. It hasn't worked. And China has moved rapidly into producing its own and and it's moving rapidly toward being a major producer itself of these chips. Um, It's all to say that this act is really not about U.S. production. The United, U.S. corporations are not going to produce these chips. And that's because the supply chain is firmly set in stone. They're not going to do it. It would be extremely costly, right? These corporations, these monopolies, they don't want to pay the wages. They don't want to pay the capital costs. They don't want to pay the R&D. The government is not doing it. They're not going to do it. So, in effect right Rokana says oh well taiwan's an economic partner right that's what he says taiwan's an economic partner and we can do whatever we want well that's a that assumes that taiwan's one country two systems model which is what china has honestly probably the broadest the most uh, the loosest version of that uh, political philosophy Hong Kong also in some respects has this philosophy uh, but a much different context that assumes that economic relations uh, among businesses really uh, supersede the sovereignty of nations and and China doesn't believe this and international law doesn't really see this um, as legitimate so In effect, it's not really an argument at all, right? Companies that do business with each other around these very valuable chips, just because Taiwan produces it, doesn't mean that politically you have the authority to supersede a host of agreements that have been made decades upon decades ago and that have been constantly reaffirmed by every single political administration, the three joint communiques in the 70s and 80s. And of course, the 1992 consensus, which was between China and the political authority of the People's Republic of China and the Republic of China government, you could say the political authority in Taiwan, uh, that agreement of the one China principle, uh, uh, there's no economic relationship that semiconductor factories and and, and corporations uh, they, they can't supersede so unfortunately the United States right to your point also Rodrigo, about the inflation and economics kind of being the principal worry of a lot of people unfortunately the United States like corporations are people and corporations do supersede these international law uh, uh, political agreements among states uh, but China doesn't recognize that and I don't th- and I do believe that politically you know uh, if we're to be progressive or for peace, we also have to adopt that same position because we don't want corporations, right? We, we were opposed to TPP, where if we we're opposed to these free trade agreements, these big free trade agreements, destroying jobs and destroying livelihoods in the United States, then you can't be for corporations determining political relationships, right? That and, and how political relations in international relations are governed. So in effect, no, I don't think that saying Taiwan is an economic partner is any kind of excuse because uh, really Pelosi has absolutely nothing to do other than maybe, right, lobbying or whatever, getting, uh, being servile to these corporations. It has nothing to do with it. Of course, right, um, they could have made the excuse, oh yeah, we're trying to build these chips here in the United States, we need to learn from Taiwan. You wouldn't send Pelosi to do that. You would send someone a lot more informal to do that. You would send e- economic advisors. You would send, you know, who, you know, you it would be it would just be a lot more of an informal meeting which is allowed. It's not like <laughs> it's not like the one China policy disallows that. It allows that. So, so I guess that would just quickly answer that question, Anthony. You've been waiting patiently. You are the next caller now.
3: Oh, hey, how's it going? I' it's going say, good, no doubt. I got to say, well, the businesses do rule our uh, mm-hmm. foreign and domestic because you know i uh, I know a gentleman who uh, he assesses the you know tariffs on these companies. And just uh, you remember Volkswagen? They had an emissions yeah. scandal way back when, and. They, uh, the fine they should have paid was 14 billion, but they settled this, uh, just element of it for two. So they, they really just get away with the robbery. Uh, they don't go by the books on tariffs at all. But the same gentleman, he, I, he, I told him you gotta enforce and he was telling me about it, the Chinese Forced Labor Prevention Act. I said, this is all BS. He's not political. I said, no, this is all BS. It's fake. But hey, your job. you got to do it. But in just terms of tariffs and, uh, you know, it's just funny. We have a there's with the redistricting and the primary elections. We have uh, two Democrats incumbents squaring off here. And uh, they had a rally the other day in Pontiac, Michigan, and Bernie Sanders showed up. And this guy who's supposed to be the progressive Democrat in this race, he's like, yeah, we're going to. Spread human rights around the world, and uh, uh granted, yeah. he, he mentioned uh, Saudi Arabia, but then he's like Syria and uh, Ukraine and Venezuela. Like I was like, this is the progressive in the race. Wow, we're in
1: bad yep. shape.
0: yeah, 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 no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. That's that's a huge problem. I mean that that is um. That's that. That's where the you. That's where the foreign policy of the so-called progressives in the Democratic Party, so-called, right? Quote unquote. that's where they're at. I mean, Rokana said it on CNN. So for those of you who didn't catch it, um, you know, Rokana was on CNN with Blitzer talking about Pelosi's trip, defended her. And at the end, he says, We need to talk about human rights in China. And then he said something dumb, which was, We need to talk about the trade deficit in China. It's like, What are you talking about? Are you talking about the fact that uh, you are in debt, the United States is in debt perpetually, that it's always perpetually in debt, and that, um, it has leveraged that debt with China in order to manage economic relations. Is that what you're talking about? Because it absolutely it's nonsensical. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Ch- the U.S. is in a trade war with China. It has been shooting itself in the foot, a la Ukraine, for like four or five years, right? It's been doing that far before uh, Ukraine. Those sanctions came underway. This trade war has actually hurt jobs. It's hurt economic. Uh, it's hurt farmers. It's hurt ordinary people. And Anthony. Anthony's mention of the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act has done the same thing. It's hurt the economy. It's hurt. It's raised inflation. It's not really talked about because the media doesn't want to give any real attention to China in this way. Uh, So uh, the truth of the matter is, though, is that the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act is actually hurting the U.S. economy. It's hurting workers. It's raising the costs of very critical. Resources, materials, poly cotton, name it. Um, but that's what that humanitarian interventionists. That's what the democratic, so-called progressives in the Democratic Party are. They're humanitarian interventionists. They are not uh, internationalists. They are not anti-war. They are not for peace. AOC, right? The whole squad—they voted against the 840 billion dollar military budget, and then when they were spoken to about it, they said, "Oh, it's just a little too big. We, we, we are totally for more, more military aid to Ukraine. We're totally for that. That military aid is putting the U.S. on the cusp of a, of a global confrontation with Russia. And of course, they have nothing to say about China. They have not challenged Mama Bear on her absolutely." Uh, just dishonorable <laughs> if you talk about parentally right just like dishonorable behavior this embarrassing behavior it's like if you're the children if you're the the cubs of mama bear pelosi you should be quite embarrassed that she's behaving herself like this it's a bad reflection on you you know what i'm saying so uh the progressives right they and this is what i want to say this is how i want to conclude this about the democrats the Democrats will only vote against things like the military budget when it's convenient, and what I mean by that is that, or, or vote for anything, anything positive, whether it's yay or nay, anything that you'd say, okay, yeah, the squad should vote against the military budget. Yeah, they'll do it when it's convenient. They'll do it when it means nothing because it was a unanimous pass. It was unit. It was what was 180 Democrats, right? That's majority so you know when it's important they won't fight when it's hard they when it, when there's stakes when there's consequences they don't fight when it's possible they don't fight but the democrats you can surely see them they will they will they will vote nay they will vote oppose they will oppose certain policies you know when they're when they can pose as the outsiders so that's the humanitarian interventionism is doesn't surprise me because they just Rokana people like that they just copy and paste Barack Obama's foreign policy right it's all in Hillary Clinton's foreign policy it's copy and paste it and make it their own and then they pepper it with human rights so to make it seem like that foreign policy is somehow more progressive than their more establishment counterparts but it's not it's not more it's not more progressive at all not not even A little bit so with that said everyone this was a great podcast um i'm gonna check the chat real quick make sure that you're subscribing here following this podcast cold war brew uh you can also follow of course me individually here um whatever way can get you notified when i go live um and also, it's the end of the month, and I do gener- You know, I do. This is. I am much more independent now, in my in my media work. So I do highly encourage you if you came, if you found me from Jimmy Dore, if you found me some other ways. If you're new to my work, check me out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Spirit of Ho. Spirit of Ho. You can find me on YouTube at the Left Lens. I put the link in the chat. You definitely want to catch the program tomorrow. I put it again in the chat. Find me on Telegram because Twitter may get rid of me at any moment now. Okay, Any moment, I may not be on Twitter anymore. The next successful report will probably be my last. So I'm putting my Telegram also in the chat. So all those links are in the chat. And uh, of course, I'm supporting myself. Uh, doing all this independent media work on my own and supporting myself financially. So patreon.com slash Danny Haifong is how you can support me. But with that said, everyone, I don't see anyone else in the queue. I do appreciate you all coming out. Uh, Thanks so much. I do have a column coming out next week on uh, Glenn Ford's one year anniversary since his death. A very dear comrade of mine, a Basically, my mentor in terms of uh, journalism and analysis, and he died a year ago um, on the. Tw- I think it was a year ago from the 29th. So uh, that article is coming out next Wednesday. You can find that. You'll find all my social media. I'll share it on my Telegram, and of course, it'll be on my Patreon for those who subscribe. I usually give <clears throat> first uh, publication to subscribers on Patreon. And uh, yeah, follow me on the left lens because tomorrow's conversation about Taiwan will be even deeper. We'll talk about the politics, the history. We'll go a lot deeper. So look forward to it, everyone. Have a good night, morning, afternoon, wherever you are. Take good care. Bye-bye.